The following podcast is brought to you by Vite Ramen. Use offer code BROKENSILICON to get 10% off tasty, healthy, and easy-to-make ramen orders at the link below. Or go to cdkeyoffers.com and use code BROKENSILICON for 30% off Windows keys and die shrink for 3% off every other key on the website. Now, on with the show. Welcome to Broken Silicon, a gaming hardware podcast. I am your host, Bergamo Tom, and I am joined today by my co-host, Alder Lake Dan. I don't know. That's that's the first thing that comes to mind, I guess. I was really expecting you to say Milan X, Dan, to keep the AMD reveals theme. We're just going with CPUs that are of the moment, I guess, as, a, as the theme. Which I guess, nonetheless, there are a lot of CPUs uh, of the moment right now, um, (laughs) which is, uh, there's so many things to discuss from Intel and AMD that have been leaked over the past two weeks, let alone the past few days, that I just want to say this at the beginning of the podcast. So I believe this will come out after NVIDIA's GTC keynote. I don't know what they'll reveal, I'll be honest. Uh, my suspicion is they'll try to do some teaser for Data Center after seeing the MI250X reveal, which we'll talk all about that soon. Um, and they could also possibly reveal the Super Series because there's some evidence some of them may at least be paper launched in December. But what I want to say is we have so many products to get through and so much news to get through today. I mean, we delayed the recording of this. It'll probably come out about half a day late because we recorded this a day late. And it's just going to have to do. I don't even know. We'll, we'll see what the title even is for this episode of Broken Silicon. The news episodes I try to do what the longer and more interesting discussions are every episode. But I mean, we have pictures of Arc. I mean, people already forgot. I, there's pictures of Arc. I confirmed release dates. Bergamo, Genoa, Milan X, Alder Lake. Uh, I, I don't even know what the title for this Broken Silicon is going to be. So all I'm saying is, yeah, I know this podcast may come out after a Hopper teaser or some NVIDIA Super reveal, but that's just going to have to be covered in an upcoming podcast, which Hardware Unboxed is coming on soon, just so everyone knows. And we have other big guests coming on soon. That's where, or, or the next news episode, that's where we'll talk about that. We just don't have time to get into it on this one. I've got an idea for the name of this episode that just came to mind, Tom. Okay. We're getting close to Thanksgiving. A cornucopia of CPUs. <laughs> a cornucopia of CPUs. You know, I think that would be a good... I think we did that a year or two ago. <laughs> I think I literally did. I don't think I called it a cornucopia, but I'm pretty sure the thumbnail was a spread was a cornucopia. of... Yeah, of products. I'm, I'm sure I've done some thumbnail like that before. Um, so unfortunately, Dan, we cannot do that. But yeah, so j- just an FYI in the beginning that... We're not covering GTC, but obviously we will cover it within a week if there's big reveals, and there's probably mm-hmm. going to be something. Um, let us tarry no further, Dan. Let us get into the opening reader mails. Uh, so Timo writes him, and he says, Hi, from the latest video, Apple seems to have more and more frequent presence in the latest news you cover. So would videos need a new color for Apple news? And actually, 
There was a, which video was it? I don't remember if it was the ARC pictures leak, but there was a recent video where I didn't have my usual themed lighting in the room. And that's because during a storm, somehow static electricity killed those lights, but nothing else in my house. That was really interesting. So I had to replace those. And I have an up, actually, Amazon was nice enough to replace it, even though it was, you know, way past the 30-day guarantee. So that's cool. But the new version has kind of a silverish lighting. Timo, that is probably what I will use for Apple if they keep popping up every few videos. Um, Hollow Knight writes him, for the possible future 1,024-core server CPUs, can we make it a requirement that it is called a kilo core, (laughs) like kilobyte, and not a 1,024, a 1,000-core CPU? You know, it's it was put submitted, I believe, in the joke questions category for our reader mail channels, but I don't actually see this as a completely bad point. I, I think like GPUs are more and more being, and this is a real like actual unit as uh, like SMs are compute units because the numbers are just too big to remember. I think people are going to start doing that with CPUs if we start getting to like what we're talking about, a thousand cores. Right. The notes I wrote down for the response to the Hollow Knight's question were that I just think in general, we're going to have to stop thinking about CPUs in the typical, what is the core count? What's its relative Mm -hmm. IPC way? But I think quite literally, you're right. I I think we will see, at least in server, this emergence of 1.2 thousand cores. We're just going to say 1.2 TC or something. Like There's going to be an emergence of something because... I think as soon as a few years from now, we will have a thousand cores, at least a thousand threads out of AMD and Intel uh, and server chips. Like I believe that I I suspect the successor to Bergamo is going to be, or I think it technically, Lisa Sue called it Bergamo, is going to be much more than just doubling, of course, you know. (laughs) But so even if it is, that would mean we're up to 512 threads. So (laughs) yeah, which. Yeah, right, because if Zen 5 Turin is 256 cores, that's the rumor. And I happen yeah. to know a bit about Granite Rapids, not Granite, well, I know more, I know about Granite Rapids, but also Diamond Rapids that comes after that from Intel, and it's going to some pretty crazy core counts as well, by the way. So, honestly, I wouldn't surprise me if we said kilocores pretty soon. Especially, especially if uh, we run away with the uh, e-cores in certain contexts, where it's like, yeah, just throw, I don't know, 5,000 of those things on five yeah. years from now or something. All right, let us move on as quickly as we can then, because we don't want to waste too much time with the opening reader mails here to the corrections and omissions. Tick Dickler writes in, and he says, very minor correction. Well, the A15 from Apple is on what will be called a four nanometer node. Actually, the M1 Pro and Max for notebooks are on the same node as the M1, which is why it has identical single core scores. The M1 family is based off of the A14 chip, which was on N5. The way it looks like Apple is doing it is they start with the newest node on an iPhone, then using that as an architectural template, scale up the node as it matures and yields improve for a giant monolithic design for their notebooks. Tom's point still stands, though. They do have a node advantage right now with their notebook chips still. I still kind of hope, though, the industry will be moving to high bandwidth unified memory systems and specialized accelerators soon, like they are doing. So I give kudos to Apple's design team, no matter what node they're using. Thanks for being the only level-headed source covering this besides Anantech. Um, I wouldn't say the only, but I would agree that it does sometimes feel like the majority of Apple coverage is either, again, it's alien tech, which, no, it's not that crazy how it performs or it's it's terrible yeah or yeah or, or the people covering it are the people that just 
I don't know, cover tech in a more broad sense and don't get into the technicalities of it as much. Yeah. All right. That is the opening reader mails. Well, besides one here, Elon writes in, taking a break, I suppose, from going to outer space. And he says, Alder Lake is finally out. So how has any opinion of yours changed now that the reviews are out? If I remember correctly, you mentioned this was your first big leak, Alder Lake in 2019. So I assume you're excited and happy. Uh, honestly, my opinion hasn't really changed. All I can say is that the 10 nanometer node or what they now call Intel 7 is maybe clocked slightly faster than I expected it to get to two years ago. But otherwise, let us talk about Alder Lake in much more detail in story number one, Intel Alder Lake launch and reviews discussion. I have a small write-up and then we're just going to do much more freeform talk about it. Um, did you guys hear? Intel launched a new product last week, apparently called Alder Lake. Joking aside, it has been widely covered, and that's because it is a big deal. No, Intel is not firmly in charge of the CPU market overnight, but they have just gone from struggling to compete in the consumer mid-range to overall, at least in Moore's Law's dead's opinion, winning the high end in a single generation. There is no way around it. Alder Lake feels like a Zen 1 moment for Intel. Their bulldozer era is already over and competition is back. So I did do a initial reaction video breaking down why Alder Lake is basically, I think, exactly what people should have expected. You know, not losing to Zen 3, but not 20% better. You know, wins in gaming. Uh, it, it's i5 dominates the mid-range gaming scene. And it's competitive and multi-threading again at the same time. Although often at the expense of efficiency, but not always. That was my initial reaction, you know, kind of talking about that. And if AMD will do price cuts, which it still seems like they're not officially going to do it. We then also did a die shrink talking about who mm -hmm. should be thinking of buying Alder Lake right now, who should be thinking of buying it next year or Zen 3D or Zen 4. So that's there for patrons uh, if you support us. Okay, those are two pieces of content. Dan, now we can speak more broadly. What are your takeaways from the Alder Lake launch or what are things you've noticed that you don't believe other people are talking about? You know, it's kind of hard to say things no one is talking about because of the broad spectrum of reviews I've read, it seems like everyone has really lasered in on one specific aspect of Alder Lake. Like Gamers Nexus has been really big into covering the Windows 10 versus Windows 11 aspect of it. So I do think it's interesting to note Windows 11 tends to actually perform worse uh, according to their testing, although it's a negligible difference. Is that true? I really haven't had time to dig. Uh, you know, I watched the initial few reviews, like I watched Linus, uh, Hardware Unboxed, Gamers Nexus, read a couple of snippets from people here and there and did that video. I, I didn't pay attention to the Windows deep comparisons or deep dives. It, so they perform not only the same, but worse in 11 on average, he found? Once again, he had to caveat this with, you know, this is just doing one test in our testing conditions. This isn't a realistic real world test where you have a Google Chrome open in the background. Mm -hmm. You're recording something and you're playing a game at the same time. So you have to caveat that like this is just them testing a single thing. And they found that usually it gets slightly worse performance in Windows 11. But when I say slightly worse, I mean like. 9.4 versus 9.5, like <laughs> whatever uh, render time. That was a specific benchmark. I can't remember which one it was right now, but uh, negligible differences. But yeah, overall, 
slightly better performance in Windows 10 under benchmarking conditions. Well, um, and that's something I touched on actually in my initial reaction video. Well, I didn't look into the deep dives and some of those deep dives weren't even out yet actually when I put that video out. Yeah. I did note that Hardware Unboxed seemed to be indicating that in his early, and he you know, emphasized early, there's so much testing to be done, early testing, that didn't seem like Windows 10, there was some giant performance loss all the time. And I noted in my video that whether there is or isn't, I just feel like the community will think they need Windows 11, and that is yeah. a pros category for AMD selling CPUs. Again, I'm not saying that makes one or the other better. I'm saying in terms of mindshare, in terms of how these things are marketed, there is at least the perception that you need Windows 11 for Alder Lake. And that is a downside to Intel trying to sell Alder Lake, whether fair or not, just like, you know, we could get into whether Radeon had worse drivers than NVIDIA in any given generation. Fair or not, there was the perception they did and that hurt AMD. Yeah, and I do have to wonder if it was, at the end of the day, somewhat of a mistake then to emphasize that the benchmarking should be done in Windows 11, given that there's not much of a difference Really, yeah. if any, if a, a slight advantage towards Windows 10 right now, maybe that will get better in the future. And, you know, I haven't seen much analysis of like how it utilizes the P versus E cores. Mm -hmm. um, so I would like to see if the P versus and E cores are utilized differently in Windows 11 or something. I'm assuming they are, but I would like to see that actually done, <laughs> you know, and maybe it's more efficient in Windows 11 or something like that. You know, also, I would point out on the subject of things, I'm sure a lot of people have noticed, but that I think we need to cover early on in the Alder Lake discussion is any worries that DDR4 will be some giant anchor on the mm -hmm. neck of performance is false. Yes, there are scenarios where there's a 20% difference, but most of the testing so far is on the highest end chips. I'm guessing if you have an i5 and you want to save money, you should just not be worried at all about getting a DDR4 system. Hardware Unboxed found a 2% difference on average in performance between gaming with DDR4 and DDR5. Even in non-gaming applications, mm -hmm. he, he says himself, Steve, Hardware Unboxed, that he is surprised how little difference there was in some professional applications. Yeah, you know, it's surprising when you see such a big difference in like the clocks of the RAM that there wouldn't translate into real world performance. But you know, at the time of recording, at least it doesn't. And I think the main argument right now for DDR5 is you're buying into a more future-proof platform. But if you want to save a couple hundred bucks, probably uh, in the near term, DDR4 still works perfectly fine. And I think if you have a 12600K uh, and DDR4, you're fine for at least a few years, if not more. <laughs> I think a few years is probably underselling how fine that platform will be for a long time. I don't disagree that DDR5 is for future proving. That's basically what I think we came to the conclusion yeah. of in that die shrinking part of it. But I would like to caveat it now, now that more time's passed, I've looked at more information and received more tips from a couple sources on this. Um, I've been told that Raptor Lake will support DDR4. And I don't think that's actually technically necessarily new information. I never was told it wouldn't. But I had seen, I'm sure there were tech tubers saying this, because I've seen it in the comments. Some people say, I bet Intel disables DDR4 on Raptor Lake to make you need to upgrade again. They're so greedy. And 
Yeah, I don't know why you'd assume that. I, I mean, if if Alderlake supports DDR4, and actually now that I think about it, one of my Intel sources told me this a, half a year ago, <laughs> then Raptor Lake has to, you know? Um, yeah, unless they want to have to change platforms every generation, which that's just not a thing I've seen either company do. Well, uh, Intel kind of did that from KB Lake to... Comet Lake, but I think that was okay. mostly poor planning and just throwing things at the wall in a frenzy. I don't Wait. think that was into, you know. Are you saying Comet Lake was at a disorganized time at Intel, Tom? It seemed like it to me, at least, <laughs> yes. <laughs> when I say DDR5 is for future-proving, I think it's like you get 16 gigabytes now, and we can assume DDR4 will get cheap soon, but then also DDR5 will. And then by 2023, DDR5 will get cheaper than DDR4. I think you want DDR5 on your platform for, to you know, in quotes, future-proofing if you're planning to want to upgrade to DDR5 capacity in a few years. I, yeah, I don't know that we point. should be so sure if DDR4 didn't help Alder like that much. I'm not sure why we'd assume it would Raptor Lake. I, I would assume you want DDR5 if you want top Raptor Lake. But if you're going to go from like an i5 to a Raptor Lake i7, I don't know why we would assume you need DDR5 if Alder Lake didn't. I think you have to also accept that with, with as an early adopter of a new tech or a new thing, one, you're spending more money than uh, somebody who's looking for a more value proposition who's going to wait a few months. And two, you are inherently betting that all of that new technology is going to be uh, relevant for future proofing and hell, who knows, maybe DDR5 just won't be that huge of an asset uh, for Raptor Lake or Alder Lake. And assuming that they go to a new chipset uh, socket type after uh, Raptor Lake, then yeah, you could buy uh, DDR5 for almost no reason. That There's always that chance. Again, what I would then say is, if you're going for the i7 or especially the Alder Lake i9, you're an enthusiast. I recommend you get yeah. DDR5. But if you're getting the i5 that costs $300 or sometimes less, get the DDR4 if you're going for price performance and do it without feeling worried and, and or even feeling worried about upgrading to Raptor Lake because it's probably not going to be a performance difference with Raptor, like that's bigger than the price difference of getting DDR5 now. That, that That's what I, how I yeah. would put it, you know? Um, so that's another thing that I think um, was an interesting thing to zero in on. What, what else did you like glean from like looking at some benchmarks and like reviews? Um, the other big thing I would say I glean, I took from it was one overall power usage. Well, we've talked about this before is not, super terrible or it, it overdone in gaming there are some applications where alder lake is insanely power hungry and i do think that just needs to be mentioned that like in certain benchmarks that thing was getting to like over 200 watts and you know we've talked about power usage and it being an issue before i think that is an issue like linus tech tips had a hard time keeping the is a the 12900K below 90 degrees with like a $120 cooler. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, I don't know if you have anything else to add to that or anything you want to say, but, you well, know. I, I, the caveat I would add to the, I think what you touched on when I, I'm looking at, while you were talking, I was looking at some power consumptions here and multi-threaded workloads. It, it just depends which workload. Like, because some of them, I'm seeing the i9 
uh, doesn't use that much more energy than its Zen counterparts, especially in gaming. But then yeah, if you're like true. rendering, it's it's like way worse. Having said that, I, I know that they both have a the same base TDP, the i5, the i7, the i9. Well, when I look at where this i9 is, let's see, we got, yeah, 320 watts, which is just crazy in some of these applications. But then the i5, you know, that's for the whole system. The i5 system uses 100 watts less. So the i5 yeah. at full burst is using a reasonable amount of energy. And so I would go as far as to just remind people that if you're only gaming, I bet you can get away with a $100 all-in-one liquid cooler with even the i9, certainly with the i5. If you're doing more than gaming, you know, then that's when you really need the powerful cooling. But, you know, Intel made those decisions for a reason, you know, why they make it burst like crazy to get up there. And it's enough of a, a power usage where I think the discussion of, like, what power supply you're getting for the system, like, you might want to go for, like, I don't know, depending on what you have, like an 800 watt instead of a 600 watt <laughs> with uh, Alder Lake because of how much power it uses. Yeah. Well, so I guess moving forward then, again, just to summarize, Alder Lake wins single-threaded. It wins gaming. Mm -hmm. There are scenarios where Zen 3 is about the same, and it is worth pointing out, as Hardware Box really insists on pointing out, that on average, everything after Zen 2 is within like 20% of each other and above 144 hertz in gaming. So it's we, we basically need game engines to catch up with these CPUs. But nonetheless, Alder Lake is the best gaming CPU, and it, and it kind of ties in multi-threading with Zen 3. Well, using more energy, though, while tying in multi-threading. I'm seeing some pretty ridiculous reactions from fanboys in both camps right now. And I want to touch on that too. So basically, Hardware Unboxed tweeted that he's received dozens of emails saying that people are disappointed in his Intel fanboy review of Alder Lake. And I can't say I've received a lot of emails, but I've received a I've received a few and seen the comments. It's bizarre to me. The polarization here, I, I honestly would guess most of the community is the silent majority that pretty much agrees with most reviewers and is like, yep, Alder Lake's back, but it didn't destroy AMD and AMD will swing back soon. That's, I think, the consensus of reviewers and that's what most gamers probably think. I, I, we asked our friend Brock, what did you think from the reviews? And he's like, eh, Alder Lake wins, but it doesn't seem like AMD's in any trouble. I, I think that's what the reasonable people would say about this launch. Yeah. Alder Lake is hugely impressive, and if you were to ignore Zen for the past, the entire, entire history of Zen, Alder Lake would be massively impressive. It's their most but, important launch in a decade. They over-doubled yeah. performance. It's huge. Yeah, it's huge, but, you know, it's less exciting than it would be given the competition because this is them catching up and mildly surpassing AMD uh, a year later. Right. It's like overall winning, in my opinion, but it's actually still up for debate. Mm -hmm. um, you know, uh, and again, you know, I touched on that in the video too. I think people who thought Alder Lake would be better than this heard doubling Rocket Lake performance and forgot that Rocket Lake lost to the 5800X in gaming. Yeah. So uh, Intel was having trouble competing in the mid range. You know, it was, and, and before <laughs> yeah. that, it was, yeah, I, I don't want to retread old ground, but. Yet, I'm still, I don't know, what do you make of this, Dan? I'm seeing so many AMD fanboys 
acting like I've literally seen multiple. I've seen dozens of comments of people saying Alder Lake couldn't even compete with a 5900X. I don't know where this is, or like it's a space heater that's only 10% better. It's like in gaming, it's actually as efficient as Zen 3 and it wins in gaming performance and it ha- supports new IO. It, Alder Lake is a, and the i5 beats the 5800X. Well, even if you account for DDR5, which you don't need DDR5. Like I saw a comment saying you buy $500 worth of RAM to use Alder Lake. Where it's going, I don't know where this is coming from, this incensed AMD fanboys that have no reality on how good Alder Lake is. It's not to say Alder Lake destroyed AMD. They didn't. But give it some credit, guys. Yeah, I mean, and I'll reiterate my the my main point, I think, on that uh, die shrink we did. That su- to supplement this conversation so it wouldn't be two hours long, um, <laughs> is I think the main takeaway is if you bought into AM4 or X570, I would say, you, and you're thinking of upgrading, I would say stick with X570. If you're not on X570, build, buy Alder Lake. I think that's... Especially if it's a, a, a mid-range enthusiast build. Yeah. I think any takeaway that AMD is still in the lead, if that's what you're arguing, you're not you're using a disingenuous argument. Like if you're, if you're one of those people that's saying, well, you have to get DDR5. First off, you don't. Second off, having a platform advantage like DDR5 isn't a negative for Intel and spinning it that way is really weird. Especially when you don't need it. DDR4 works fine, Uh, it turns out. (laughs) From two angles, it's a disingenuous argument, in my opinion. And the same goes for Windows 11. Yeah. So I I guess that's about it. Again, to summarize, if you are building an enthusiast system right now from the ground up, unless you needed, you know, Threadripper or some reason it was mostly about the multi-threading performance and efficiency, I would recommend people buy Alder like the overwhelming majority should. If you're mid-range or or you are worrying about mid-range price performance, you get the i5, which beats the 5800X, everybody, and you get DDR4, and it still is PCIe 5.0, and then you can upgrade to Raptor Lake, which I don't think there's any evidence Raptor Lake will be like hamstrung by DDR5. I think you'll be able to just, you can get like 4,000 megahertz DDR4 right now for a lot less than DDR5, and it performs very well most of the time compared to DDR5. And then if you're in the enthusiast if you're going all out, I still kind of recommend Alder Lake for that i9 because you can upgrade to Raptor Lake next year. And really at this point, Zen 3 is for people that already have an X570 system or get a good deal, which it also does need to be, I guess at the end of this discussion here, called out. I don't see AMD doing any pro- official price drops right now, but at least at Micro Center, The pricing of these chips is pretty much where I said I would have dropped them to if I was AMD, which is to say $700 for the 5950X, more than the i9, but then reminding people our platform is cheaper and it requires less cooling, and then a $500 5900X. But surprisingly, to me at least, just just surprising because I never thought AMD cared about the price performance of the 5800X, but Micro Center does. They dropped that to $300, which if you think about it, if AMD actually wanted to be aggressive with Zen 3 pricing. I, I mean, the 5800X, in my opinion, should be like 250 or something. Like, I don't even yeah. think it comes with a cooler. Uh, so neither does the i5. I'd say that should be 250 and the 5600X should be 180. You know, if AMD, wa- again, listen, people, if AMD wanted to be aggressive, I don't think they need to do it at all. Yeah, I mean, and the I, I checked this before we started recording. Like, 
you can't buy, if you go to Newegg right now, you can't buy the 5800X, the 5600X, or the 5950X right now. Okay. So you can't buy those right now. You can still buy, I believe, yeah, you can still buy uh, the 12600K as a bundle. The single cart deal is no longer available, okay. but you can buy bundles for it still. And, you know, they have a solid state drive, a power supply, and a AOI cooler uh, bundle. So if you need one of those things, you can still get it. And if I go to amd.com, oh, there it is. Even at MSRP, the 5950X, all of them, they're all sold out. So this is why I didn't think, no, AMD doesn't need to lower prices. If vendors like Micro Center want to lower prices, and it seems they do, then they can. And this is normal. A year after a CPU launches, you got the 2700X for 150 or like 140. Like, yeah, 150. I think about a year after it came out. This is normal to have price drops that aren't official a year after a product's out during the holiday season. And I just think that's what AMD is going to do. Just let vendors do it if they want to. But frankly, the fact that AMD's produced all of these chips and they're already on shelves and not stuck on boats outside of California <laughs> right now, this is a huge asset to AMD. They don't need official price drops. Everything they make just is, that's already on shelves is probably going to sell. Yeah. All right. Let us move on to some reader mails about it. Root Knight writes in, which way of referring to the i5-12600K do you think is the most appropriate? 6 plus 4, 10 core, or 16 thread? I think 6 plus 4. I, 6 plus 4 is the most accurate and concise way to put it. Like 16 thread maybe, but that still leaves something out. <laughs> there could be 8 cores, yeah. 16 threads then. And also, the only thing I would say is if you call it a 10 core CPU, Eh, I mean, sure, it still leaves up a little bit of interpretation. But again, I want to be clear, that's not incorrect. I, I was really annoyed. A lot of AMD fanboys on Twitter were just like, AMD has 16 big cores. And it's like, okay, well, you know, Gracemont's single core performance is above Skylake. So it has uh, performance equal right. to Zen 2. So what is that, eight big-ish cores? Like, it it's 10 full cores, people. But the six cores are stronger. I think six plus four is the best way to describe it. Yeah. Um, Deepest Learners writes in. He says, this is an impressive upgrade I'm seeing here potentially with Alder Lake. And I'm especially impressed at how well the hybrid threading seems to work after looking at some benchmarks. Seems 12th gen is market leading across the stack in terms of performance and price performance. But this is the first iteration of Big Bigger. <laughs> yeah, you see, he calls it Big Bigger because Gracemont's not a slouch. And I'm interested in where things go with it in the next few gens. Right now, on the top SKU, E-cores make up about a third of the threads, even less of the total compute power, and just about 20% of the logic area on the package. To me, that means these cores are firmly for specialized tasks. That means the bigger cores are still beholden to the design considerations faced by general purpose cores instead of being unleashed to pursue one thing and one thing only, insane levels of performance per thread. I think in a future gen, when the e-cores are most of the threads in the system, most of the logic die space and are what things are normally running on, that's when we'll see the p-cores really become something special. When a task gets sent to a p-core, it'll be like a huge dude taking off his jacket when challenged to an arm wrestling and everyone goes, oh shit, here comes the big core. <laughs> that's an interesting way of putting it and an inter some interesting input there. Uh, yeah, I mean, all I can say is I Raptor Lake will have more little cores than big cores, but not more threads. And I think eventually Intel will possibly add hyper-threading to their little cores. So it's coming. We will see what that's like when it happens, but we're not there 
quite yet. And it's certainly true that at this point, it still is just kind of like a boost. It's not like we're really seeing what's what we're capable of doing. I, I would guess that actually the Zen 5 SKUs AMD's got coming might be like that with how high IPC Zen 5 will be. Mm. I mean, yeah, I, I would just say I wouldn't be surprised if at a certain point, in, Intel just stops adding big cores. Well, like they, they're not going to add more big cores. This seems like, like it, yeah. But like, I wouldn't be surprised if the gen after that, they go to, I don't know, like 16 or something and stay at 16 for a while while they increase e-cores even more. Well, there was that mysterious leak about Arrow Lake having only eight big cores and 32 little cores. So, yeah, so I might be wrong. Maybe they they decide eight cores is where it needs to be at for the next several years. Eight big cores. Which I think is probably true. I don't know why you would need more than eight big cores. I mean, honestly, it's like, are you using the little cores well or not? If you are, why do you need more than eight? Frankly, why do you need more than like six? Probably just for legacy apps that can't use more than eight cores. Yeah. <laughs> Um, which I guess that is the one argument, though, is legacy apps that can, for some reason, use a certain amount of threads, but not more than that. But I'm guessing that's probably eight. Yeah. Um, Masria writes him. He says, hello, Tom. I've been enjoying your content since mid-2019, and I'm glad to finally be contributing to the Patreon. Great stuff and definitely worth the money. Thank you. Anyway, here's my question for you. I bought into Zen 2 at launch, getting an R5 3600 and an X570 motherboard. I chose these components because of price, performance, and upgrade path provided by the AM4 socket. But I'm starting to get a bit worried about Zen 3D. Do you think that the cost of stacking Vcash will raise the price of those CPUs despite the presence of Alder Lake? And if so, will that be consistent over time? The most likely time for me to upgrade would probably be at the end of the AM4 life cycle, hopefully snagging a 6900X or something at a major price cut. I wonder if the cost-benefit ratio there would outweigh just switching to AM5. So, so yeah, I actually read this question ahead of time. The note I put down is honestly, when are you upgrading? What can you benefit from? Will your games... Yeah. What, what frame rate are you gaming at? Do you have games that will benefit from a stronger CPU? Win. Get an upgrade then. Because quarter one, there will be Zen 3D, and it will be competitive with Alder Lake, maybe beat it. And then Raptor Lake and Zen 4 will duke it out. And then Meteor Lake and Arrow Lake and Zen 5 will duke it out. Every mm -hmm. about 8 to 14 months or so, there's going to be a big new thing. So you can always wait. Another I mean, eight it, months. I mean, yeah, I think that's what it comes down to. Do you want to upgrade a new platform? Do you care the effort that's required? Do you just like the convenience of slotting in a CPU and putting the thermal paste back on? That's kind of the benefits <laughs> of Zen 3D. And uh, I, it's going to be it's going to be good. Uh, and I also don't think the yields will be very bad. From what I've heard, the Vcash yields aren't that bad or expensive, actually. I mean, yeah, I, I will say for me personally, that is part of the value, <laughs> the value proposition of just upgrading CPUs uh, to Zen 3D or something is that I will not have to do an entire PC rebuild, which takes a long time. And then I have to reinstall Windows and all of my apps. And it's essentially an entire weekend. I mean, yeah, I, I last minute decided to do a video today and it's, I just have my system up and running and ready to go. You know, that matters to me every day being able to do that. So it's a big deal if I switch platforms. I'm not going to do it unless it's crazy necessary for me either. Yeah. Um, but again, I, one thing I would key in on here is, so from what I'm hearing, it seems like Zen 5 will be the first generation to pretty much use Vcash on everything. 
Although Zen 4 is assumedly going to use it on a lot of the lineup of Zen 3, will use it for some of it. Um, so I don't know how much cost is expected to go up from Vcash in future gens, but what I know is that Zen 3 uses the same node as Zen 2, and it's been years. <laughs> These things are cheap. Mm -hmm. So I think like they have like at least a 90% yield rate added on top of when you add Vcash. So it's a bit exponential. So if they have like 95% yields, but then the Vcash yield rate is 90%, then you have to multiply 0.95 by 0.9. You're really getting to almost 85% mm -hmm. yields. But that's still pretty damn good on chiplets that are dirt cheap to make. So I guess what I'm saying is I see no reason why they couldn't launch a 16-core Vcash Zen 3 for 700 or less. There's no reason. They, they make plenty of profit margins. They're making absurd margins on Zen 3 right now. I don't know if that changes with what they'll do with Vcash and newer nodes with Zen 4 if the calculation on cost changes there. But I, I see no reason why Zen 3D will be expensive unless they think it can get away with it. Yeah, and I think, in my opinion, my, I think at worst, uh, Zen 3D is meant to hold MSRP for the current lineup. So they replaced the 5950 with the 5950 3D and Keep or whatever it, same it is. MSRP. Yeah, whatever they call it. And uh, keep it at its current MSRP. Right. Like, I don't expect any official price drops, but if they did a price drop to $700 for the 5950X and then they called the new generation 6000, I would assume yeah. the 6950X could get away with being 800, to be entirely honest, um, which is the current MSRP, of course, of the 5950X. Technically, even if it's cheaper <laughs> on Micro Center, selling out at MSRP on AMD.com, guys. So. They don't need to lower the price. Yeah. I'm proud to say that Vite Ramen is a sponsor of Moore's Laws Dead. The Vite Ramen company is an American company that pays its workers fair wages and engineered a tasty, healthy, and cheap meal that you can cook in less than five minutes. And these meals just got tastier with their updated version three of their ramen recipe. Meals aren't really healthy unless you keep coming back to eat the healthy ones. And that's what they've done with these updates to version three. Now is the best time to order some bite ramen so if you're busy hungry or just looking for a pre-made meal that isn't expensive get some nudes sent to you click the link in the description and use the code broken silicon to save 10 percent on your order this helps me this saves you money and this supports a good company buy bite ramen today all right let us then move on to story number two AMD accelerated data center premiere keynote. Half an hour of confirming Moore's Law's dead leaks. <laughs> did, you, did AMD announce anything recently? Oh, yeah, everything. At AMD's 2021 premiere data center keynote, AMD revealed the following products. Milan X, launching early 2022 with 64 Zen 3 cores accelerated by 804 megabytes of cash. Genoa launching mid to late 2022 with 96 cores of Zen 4, PCIe 5.0, DDR5, and I think this is notable, CXL support. Bergamo launching early 2023 with 128 Zen 4C, C stands for cloud, Zen 4 cloud cores for customers, and MI200 series, launching early 2022 with up to 4.9 times more performance than A100. I think it said 
48 teraflops of FP64, the first MCM GPUs to use Infinity Fabric connecting two 110 6 nanometer compute unit CDNA2 chiplets. Damn, we delayed recording the podcast for this. I think it was a good thing. They revealed basically everything I thought they might reveal. Like, and everything on the maybe was revealed. What is the only thing? that I was wondering is if they would tease a Milan X Threadripper. And the fact that they didn't makes me think it's probably not coming. But uh, yeah. what, what, what were your takeaways? Broadly, it's just like this whole thing. If you're worried about AMD, don't be. I think they're going to be fine with the uh, three months of Intel dominance we're about to see, Tom. But <laughs> joking aside, I mean, I, I think for the most part, what you can, uh, I see as the takeaways is that how is this going to influence you know, more consumer facing products down the line. And I think, I think, actually, I don't know if we've talked about this before. The fact that they're um, branding this as the cloud cores or whatever makes me wonder, makes me wonder when those are going to start coming to consumer products or if it's going to be a while. And this is just going to be some specialized application for really, really high thread counts um, for like, 128 cores on Bergamo and whatever comes after that, like 256. And maybe we won't even see that in Zen 5 or something. And then the other thing I think big takeaway is, uh, you know, multi-core dies are here for GPUs. And I think we're probably going to see that very soon for RDNA 3 consumers. Yeah. So number one, I know that we're pronouncing it probably three different ways throughout the podcast. I know that Lisa Sue pronounced it Bergamo. I'm aware. Give us a break, guys. All right. We were, we've been calling it Bergamo for, I don't know. Yeah. From now on, we'll try to say Bergamo, but give us a break on that. Um, what I would say about Zen 4C, apparently not Zen 4D, is I think actually I was talking to a contact about this. I actually think Zen 4C was done because internally I know a lot of AMD engineers are calling um, Vermeer X Zen 3D. And if they were to call this Zen 4D, they can't call oh. it Zen 3D. Or at least it would be odd if they did both. So I think that's probably why they went with Zen 4C. Um, whether or not they bring it to consumers, since you touched on it, I will add these tidbits. Okay. I've been talking to some sources. It Nothing's set in stone, guys. You know, I confirmed it in a video today that there is a 120-watt 16-core Zen 4, that that's supposed to be the top one, and that there is some 170-watt tier product that AMD has reserved there. But that actually, my contacts aren't sure if that will be a 32-core, what is it, Zen 4C or not. And that a lot of what they do with top AM5 products depends on if they can beat Raptor Lake and multi-threading with standard 16 cores of Zen 4. Because if they can, they see no reason to cannibalize Threadripper, which there will be Zen 4 Threadripper in around a year from now. And it's called Storm Peak. So yeah, I mean, I just want everyone to know that a lot of it depends on Intel's competition, but a lot of my contacts are not even sure if they will. Honestly, I'm being honest with everybody. Remember, I, this was me saying I think they could do 32 cores. They could. I've been told they can, but no mm -hmm. one has any proof they will. And in fact, they can do 8 plus 16 for Zen 5, but no one's even sure of that. They may still just go with 16 cores. It all depends on what they feel is most competitive over a year from now. So That's very true. All I'm saying, because they didn't um, really confirm the specifics, although the language they use definitely to me implies that they're going to be, that the... Uh, 
16 core CCD thing is correct with their language of what was it, high thread density. <laughs> um, I, I think that pretty much confirms that to me that the 16 core CCD thing is true. Just the specific language around how they saw it useful for uh, specific tasks like cloud computing made me question if they didn't think this was immediately applicable to consumers. Maybe I'm, that's just a- Which I don't think they think it is. Conclusion. You know, uh, I've gotten in debates with some AMD engineers who are like, what's the point in more than 16 cores? Like what? So we can have the biggest number on a box? No one even wants that, <laughs> you know? Well, so AMD is under the impression they don't need it right now, at least. Well, if you're uh, from Reddit in 2016, <laughs> I mean, 2013, you would think that's what an AMD engineer uh, would ultimately want. Referencing the more cores meme, meme that I'm sure everybody has seen at this point. <laughs> yeah, which I forgot to put that in one of my videos. I wanted to reference that, but oh well. Um, yeah, so I, I actually have more to say about Zen uh-huh. 4C in the next story. So let, let's cha- you know can that a little bit. I mean, I, let's just talk for a second then about Milan X and Mi200, which was the new, it, the most new news today. I would say um, most imminent. Yeah, I mean. And some of these benchmarks, the MI250X data center card, <laughs> well, really accelerator. It's not even really a card anymore because of the socketed mm-hmm. uses. Um, it like beats A100 by five, five times. times. Yeah. Yeah. Well, f- five times in what? FP64, right? I believe and that's what it was. Yeah. 2.5 times in FP32. That's a big advantage for, you know, <laughs> the applications they showed it in like Molecular simulations, which, you know, a lot of colleges uh, have big ass supercomputers for that exact purpose. And what was it? The Frontier, which I believe we've discussed before, was featured pretty heavily in their thing with their new supercomputer they're building using that. Yeah. I mean, my biggest takeaway is, again, and we'll see if this ages horribly because this will drop around the GTC (laughs) freaking reveal just of how much news is coming out. Unfortunately, this is the cutoff. I wouldn't surprise me if NVIDIA teases something, but I do not believe they will have something ready by the time this is out. So NVIDIA's in trouble here. Probably not. I mean, it would be really cool if tomorrow they just dropped something like we beat we have Hopper. Yeah. By, yeah, by five times. Like, I don't think that will happen tomorrow, but, you know, it's been a heavy, heavy two weeks of news. So why not add another crazy thing like that on top of it? Mm-hmm. Well, and let me say this as well. My, my biggest takeaway in the video I did kind of covering this today, one of my big reactions was, look, I'm not going to get into the CDNA2 analysis too much because that's just not my purview. I, mm-hmm. I, I have too much. I, I don't have enough space in my brain to know everything. And so I'm not going to analyze it too far. But what I will say is this, they've over, they've doubled performance even in the PCIe version of it. So over MI100 with six nanometer and MCM. So there's no reason to think they're not going to double RDNA2 performance with RDNA3, right? And I've seen some mm-hmm. people say, I don't know if you can draw that conclusion. And I'm like, I think I can. I think I can. That if AMD wants to double performance, they did it with Zen. They've done it with CDNA2. They're going to do it with RDNA3, guys. You know, so yeah, that's what this tells you. When AMD wants something, wants to dominate a niche, they choose the niche and they do it. And yeah. NVIDIA's in trouble. You know, they're definitely in trouble in, yeah, certain workloads. I mean, I don't know everything. A, uh, A100 might be better than whatever they have at that 
but I, I doubt it's much at this point, I, I guess. And honestly, what, I, what I've been told is that it's CUDA and the fact yeah. that NVIDIA's supply chain and support and software for A100 is just so mature. I don't know. That should, you know, Lisa Sue talked about Rockham, their answer to that stuff. But for now, NVIDIA is still going to have plenty of sales because of that. But this is still just, uh, we'll, we'll see. You know, we'll see if AMD's drivers when this launches are as good as what NVIDIA is doing with A100. It, we'll, we'll have to see. But at the very least, that is the one big asset I'd say NVIDIA still has, even if Hopper's not coming for like a year or something. Uh, yeah, that's true. And I guess the one thing I will say is if their discussion of like how much faster at processing is true, like uh, a modeling mm-hmm. that would take two days now takes overnight. That's essentially saying uh, to a researcher, instead of this being a week, this uh, this uh, experiment you're doing takes a week. It now takes you turn it on and then you come back and look at the data the next morning. That's Ugh. pretty big. <laughs> Which I know a lot of what you do, delays that happen in our recordings or when we can play games or do something, comes from you making sure you can set something up and be done when you get back to work. So I know for you, mm-hmm. that's huge. Yeah. Um, you actually are a researcher. <laughs> and to be clear, this is not at all relevant for any research I do. I'm just saying the the decrease in time it takes to run a simulation for people I know that do that type of stuff would be huge. Right. And I also emphasize that no one should doubt that RDNA 4 may be 50 to 100% better than RDNA 3 at the end of 2023 as well, or early 2024. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it's funny. I wrote this quote down. Lisa Sue, one of the first things she says is she, on stage, she goes, we are in a high performance mega cycle in the industry. What a way of putting it. Absolutely. You know, yeah. maybe we stagnated a little bit on the 28 nanometer era. We're sure making up for lost time all of a sudden. Um, This is a mega cycle of performance upgrades because of chiplets, because of accepting that Moore's Law has been dead for a while. And it's really exciting. I mean, I guess the last thing to talk about is Milan X. I mean, what, Sapphire Rapids is probably mostly dead on arrival. Uh, Yeah, I mean... (laughs) My my question was, would it be ready quarter two or quarter one? Seems like quarter quarter one, one, right? Yeah, so... Not too much to add to that. I'm not going to buy Milan X, but it's a big deal for AMD's position in the industry. Ike's writes in and he says, does Zen 3 Threadripper being canceled also mean Zen 3D Threadripper is canceled? Not necessarily, but it doesn't seem like the chances of Zen 3D Threadripper are pretty good anymore. Look, I I touch on it in the video that came out right before this podcast. Uh, It was on the roadmaps. They had plans to maybe go forward. They really did with a Chagall 3D is what the code name was. And and I still hope they do. Like, I still feel like it would be a showing of good faith to consumers to do a limited edition, even if it's expensive launch of at least a 32 core Vcache Threadripper so that people have something to upgrade to from Rome uh, based Threadripper. But at the end of the day, it's not seeming likely right now. And AMD doesn't Mm -hmm. need to. And... I, I still think it might be a good idea to just make it so Sapphire Rapids is a joke. But for all we know, Threadripper with Zen 4 will be out by the time Sapphire Rapids HEDT is anyways. It, AMD really doesn't need to. They don't need to launch it, guys. That's unfortunate, but they don't. Yeah, and I, I mean, then I guess at the end of the day, the only reason they would is if it's really high margin, which uh, I feel like selling those smaller products probably makes more money or selling those huge products that are like multi-million dollar contracts. 
Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, the profit margins on AM4 products is incredible. And why sell a $5,000 Threadripper chip when you can sell a $10,000, you know, Epic chip? Why? <laughs> yeah. Especially when anyone who needs Threadripper is not buying what it, in, Intel has right now, guys, to put it lightly. <laughs> Estenu writes in, Hi, Tom. Thanks for all the videos you and Dan are making. I love the interesting discussions. You have any idea why AMD did not go for Zen 3 Plus and 3D cache instead of just going with cache on normal Zen 3? Does that have to do with the fact that Zen 3 Plus was designed for 6 nanometer and they only got the 3D cache stacking working on 7? With Alder Lake coming, they could use all the performance they can get, in my opinion. And gaming the cache might be competitive, but for other workloads, I'm sure they could use the extra horsepower a little bit more IPC and clock speeds would give them with Zen 3 Plus. And they've been working on 3D cache since Zen 2, if I remember correctly. They have been. Uh, so why didn't they plan... So yeah, just to cut ahead here, I mean, at the end of the day, they basically finalized some of the designs for Zen 3 Plus, right? Mm -hmm. But that's when they got Vcash working on Zen 3 at the end of 2020. So if you're AMD and you know that you're going to have Vcash working in time for a full lineup before Zen 4, it's one thing to have the design of a Zen 3 Plus chiplet-based AM4 product done. And it's one thing to finalize the silicon, validate it, and go through multiple B0 and whatever A0 steppings. Of That's a lot more money and work for an extra 5%. I mean, think about it. They can literally mm-hmm. use the same chiplets they're already producing. <laughs> that, that, that's why they canceled it, because what are they going to use Zen 3 Plus chiplets for? Probably just consumer chips. Right. Think about it. Epic is moving to Zen 4 mid 2022. You've got to remember that Zen 3 Plus and Rembrandt, that work was going to be done anyways. And that's its own APU that's monolithic and won't share chiplets. So that makes sense to keep Zen 3 Plus. There's literally no reason to go back on it. But if you're not going to share chiplets between Ryzen and Epic, you're not going to make a Zen 3 Plus uh, Epic. They're not going to, guys. Then, you know. Why, why would they do this? And I know it's design compatible and so on, but it is a small architecture upgrade. It might have bugs. It might have problems that are in the chiplet version that weren't in Rembrandt. I think they just know that it's good enough. And, and that makes it me sound like I'm underselling it, but that it, it, it is a big increase. Another 5% when it might delay it coming out, that's why they're not doing it. Yeah, and especially in the light of you know, where Intel is at in the industry now. Uh, Delaying a quarter would probably not be ideal. (laughs) Exactly. Uh, They know this will be the performance they need on time. It's literally just Zen 3, and they can keep sharing chiplets, not just between Milan X and, right, Zen 3D on AM4, but they can share the chiplets that are still going to everything else. Mm-hmm. And they're like, ooh, we need more 3D stacked ones. Take these literally the same chiplets and add Vcash to these ones. There's a lot more they can share between just sticking with normal Zen 3. Whereas Rembrandt's yeah. monolithic. They don't care if it, you know, whatever. Um, all right, then. Let us move on to story number three. Zen 4 Dense, or I guess now we know it's Zen 4 Cloud. Mm-hmm. 16-core CCD variants and Zen 5 details leaked by Moore's Law is dead. Now, this part of the notes were written before today's event, so let's see if I need to amend anything, Dan. 
When Moore's Law is dead, it leaked Bergamo half a year ago. Something didn't quite seem right. There's no way it was just more standard Zen 4 CCDs. At the time, it was suggested by sources that the cache was redone, but that was about it. There were no firm details. Well, now we know what's up. Bergamo actually uses eight times 16 core chiplets to deliver 128 cores instead of just 96 cores with Genoa. And I put just in quotes, still a lot. In summary, Zen 4C is a fork of standard Zen 4 architecture that trades L3 cache, specifically half of the cache, and likely some AVX512 performance for doubling core counts in CCDs. It also is optimized for lower clock speeds and greater power efficiency at said speeds compared to standard Zen 4. Zen 5 is currently expected to, if AMD wants to, use Zen 4C chiplets as its little cores next to eight big cores with Zen 5 in late 2023, and Zen 5 cores themselves are expected to have 30% plus higher IPC than Zen 4 and have vCache's standard, which, by the way, Zen 4 is also expected to have 20% higher IPC than Zen 3, meaning Zen 5 might have like 1.6 times the IPC of Zen 3. <laughs> the implications of this are huge. Theoretically, AMD could release a 32-core Zen 4C chip on AM5 late next year with vCache. On top of it, it's also unknown if the IPC difference would be that big compared to standard Zen 4, right? If you're cutting L3 and cache in half, well, then yeah. add vCache back on top of it to save space, you know, horizontally. Just go up. I, I don't know. You know, there's, there's, it's conceivable that AMD's little core roadmap is shrinking successive Zen architectures into dense dual source powerful little core to dual source powerful little cores on last gen nodes with the latest Zen. So you could see AMD's roadmap looking like this. Zen 8 Zen 5 cores plus 16 Zen 4 C cores. And then 8 Zen 6 cores plus 16 or 32 Zen 5 C cores. And Zen 7 plus Zen 60, so on and so forth. Oh, and uh, also in that leak, Moore's Law is dead confirmed Apple is entering the server market for themselves. So there's also that. <laughs> I know. There, uh, so honestly, I think this was good. We kept this as its own story because there's more details here, which we now know from the presentation, the data center keynote, that it has AVX 512 support, but I never thought they would remove it. It just says, and if you pay attention, supports 512, AVX 512 ISA. That doesn't mean mm -hmm. it gets any performance boost from it. You could see them double pumping 256 AVX into there so that you can still feed it AVX 512 workloads if you need to, but it doesn't get as much of a benefit per core as Genoa might, right? That, that's what yeah. I still suspect it is because I've heard the full AVX accelerated performance with Zen 4 takes up just a ton of die space. So I still suspect there's some loss of AVX 512 acceleration with that instruction set, but it still supports it. That way they don't need to laser off AVX 512 on Zen 5 if they want to support both like they freaking had to with Alder Lake, which is, I guess we didn't even touch on that, Dan, just so you know. Oh like, yeah, I forgot about that. <laughs> yeah, like <laughs> Golden Cove that. supports AVX 512. And in fact, they're going to launch Xeon 8 cores that have the little cores disabled and have 8 cores, 16 threads of AVX 512 Golden Cove. I think you might even be able to enable it if you disable the little cores right now, by the way. So that's a whole... You think they should have done something so you didn't have to do that, but AMD... that, that I. I still suspect maybe that's what Bergamo's doing with AVX 512 support. But um, yeah, there was quite a lot of information in that leak, Dan. Uh, what are your takeaways? Any comments about it? I think I said most of what I thought about, like the whole Bergamo leak, because now the leak is just verified information <laughs> from uh, right. that keynote, which I think you mentioned this in the podcast, or, or maybe you didn't, but I do wonder if that was included <laughs> 
in light of the leak because eh, I, I mean they might have just been planning on releasing that all along but like it was interesting just right at the end seeing them confirm bergamo which is what two years out about right um it's over a year out yeah yeah over it not two years yeah over a year out yeah. i keep forgetting 2023 isn't that far away really i think there are potentially massive implications for where this could go like you say the Zen 5 and Zen 4C uh, hybrid architecture, which presumably AMD is going to go to a hybrid architecture at some point too, because I think that's just where Silicon is moving is more heterogeneous architectures. Um, And this is the first clear indication we have of what it could look like from AMD, because now we have two different architectures or two forks of the same architecture being released in the same lineup. And, you know, the next thing you'd think is, well, maybe they'll combine them. But, you know, I think it's hard to see uh, the potential of the of the C cores or the C fork of that architecture until we see like, you know, mm-hmm. benchmarks start to leak out of it, which we know Bergam- uh, Bergamo is a thing now. So I suspect some leaks on performance will start coming out within maybe not now, but maybe within the next several months, somebody will likely leak something in. Someone meaning probably executable fix. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he seems to be on the ball. Uh, we'll leak something about the performance and then we can really go full steam ahead with what this might imply. Right. Right now, my biggest takeaway with Zen 4C and the fact that they're literally doubling cores in a CCD while probably using the same amount of die space is just mm-hmm. the implications. We still don't know IPC differences, what Vcache means for it, actually what type of AVX 512 acceleration it has, although it supports it. I, I just think, you know, something I highlighted in a recent video was that as impressive as Alder Lake is, a Golden Cove core is twice as big as a Zen 3 core. And I guess they might have a no disadvantage, but according to Intel, they don't. Intel says they have the same density as 7 nanometer now. So <laughs> if we go by Intel's word, then Golden Cove is pretty bloated for only being about 10 to 20% better than a Zen 3 core. And that means that Gracemont, which yes, it's a quarter the size of a Golden Cove core, but that means it's half the size yeah. of a Zen 3 core while being clocked lower, while having uh, no hyper-threading, while having like 20% lower IPC. So, you know, it's it, it puts things in perspective of just, we keep talking about how cash doesn't shrink as ably as the logic does. Well, then Zen 3, I believe half of its CCDs are cash. So if it becomes even more lopsided than that, this is just common sense. That's why... It's just common sense that they make this architecture. I don't know why we didn't see this coming from a mile away, frankly. It's so obvious once you think of, oh, yeah, so what is it going to be? A Two-thirds of it is the cash? Cut off half of the cash and double the cores, guys. <laughs> like, Yeah. And that's it, why I think on 3 nanometer, I wouldn't be surprised if there's an, a Zen 5C that actually has 32 cores per CCD so they can max match that with a Zen 6A core. That, that, that makes sense to me. I mean, <laughs> who knows? Yeah, like... Maybe they they are they'll be able to continue to expand how many cores you can fit on a CCD. I don't know if it will be 32 next generation or two generations from now, but I could definitely foresee that. I mean, I could definitely see that happening. And 
uh, as you state, Vcash adds a whole nother dimension to this that like we don't know. Literally a third dimension. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> almost like that was intentional wordplay, Tom. Uh, <laughs> but Vcash adds a whole nother dimension to this that, you know, maybe they are able to offload that in another in three dimensions uh, and that loss of cash on the 2d plane doesn't matter as much anymore i think it's obvious they're at least planning for architectures to do stuff like this when you look at what executable fixes leaked about what zen 4 actually looks like like you remember mm -hmm. those renders that are based on the real chips that are like kind of these thicker industrial meaty looking chips i think they're allowing for space to go up literally yeah and it yeah i mean it's it's um <laughs> it's just honestly really exciting. I'm not sure really what else there is to say about it. The only thing I'd highlight again, just to make sure you guys didn't miss it, is, again, this is what we're talking about when it's like, should I wait to upgrade? Should I do this? Guys, <laughs> Zen 3D launches quarter one and will match or beat Alder Lake. At the end of, or even not at the end, maybe even just eight months later, you know, we're having Zen 4 come out with 25 or more percent higher IPC than normal Zen 3. So at least a 15% boost over Zen 3, over Zen 3D. And then I am told that Zen 5 will not take as long to come out after Zen 4 as 4 took after 3. So I'm so, like, that means another 30% at least IPC boost with base, with normal Zen 5 over Zen 4 a year later. We're getting huge increases in performance in CPU every year with new things coming out like CXL, at least in Genoa, and all these new uh, new memory types. It's, there's going to be exciting stuff coming every year yeah. now, and IPC increases are not going anywhere. You know, so I, I've seen people doubtful of it. Competition is just back. Um, a named person writes in, Hey, Tom and Dan, on the topic of neural engines, which is going to be in Zen 5, guys, is it possible that various mining algorithms could utilize them? You mentioned that in specific applications, although they are not as perfect as GPUs in their calculations, they can perform to a much greater efficiency and speed with the sheer amount of calculations they can do. Do you think the developers in the crypto or crypto mining space are looking into these new pieces of hardware? I bet they're thinking about it, but I don't think anyone's going to do it right now. But do I think eventually a shitcoin will mine on neural engines when they're in every product? <laughs> yeah. Probably. Oh, yeah. yeah. Right away. I think someone, so. Someone will figure out how to write an algorithm that utilizes that when everything has it. <laughs> well, and I, I honestly think it might even just be a new altcoin because they could argue, yeah. oh, so it's per neural engine? That means this is more decentralized if you have to have a separate iPhone or laptop to do it and you can't stack them, which they'd be right. So I undoubtedly think this will happen. I just don't know that it's going to happen in existing algorithms. Probably just some new altcoin. Yeah. Um, Fire Squatch writes in, Hello, Major Tom and Lieutenant Dan. Not sure if this has been asked, but with Apple tooting the M1 Pro and M1 Max being as powerful and efficient as they say, do you think miners will take notice and make a miner from Mac OS to leverage these chips before the switch to ETH uh, 2.0, which is supposed to move proof of stake? Or am I just salty that my laptop isn't as good as the M1 Pro? <laughs> I don't see why a mining developer wouldn't. I don't know about Ethereum. I somewhat suspect they might not get it working on Ethereum, but you have to remember, Ethereum uses a mining algorithm that other altcoins also use. So actually, yes, I think eventually someone will. And I'm actually a little surprised someone hasn't yet. Although, it Although was, maybe it wasn't powerful enough before, I don't know. Mac is a more lockdown OS. Is it as easy to mine with a Mac? I mean, I'm sure someone could 
hack a, a Mac to get it to mine, even if it's not strictly allowed. I guess that's the other thing that immediately comes to mind that could be an issue. I honestly don't know. I, like, honestly, yeah. I really don't know if it's any harder to do, but I'm guessing it's probably not. Um, you know, I mean, what we're, we're talking about it. Uh, I'm just going to Google. I mean, yeah, you can. Okay. So can. just to be clear, you can mine on OSX. Um, I just don't know the details of it. Andy1299 writes in, simple question for once, when are Apple server chips coming? Uh, well, so yeah, that was part of the leak, you know, <laughs> um, which I want to be clear about that. My understanding is the Apple server chips are for themselves, that they know what code they run. You know, Daniel Nenny has been telling me about how a major asset of building your own chips is that you can write the software while you're validating it. Like, it's not like where they have to finish all the like that Microsoft has to get Windows 11 working. They can just get it all working in tandem at the same time because they control everything. So it makes a lot of sense why Apple would want to make their own server chips. It's unlikely they're going to sell to other customers right away. Although I have to bet some token company is going to be like, we're using the new Apple server for whatever. For now, though, it's for themselves. And I mean, Bergamo, in my initial leaks, talked about competing with it. So that's coming early 2023. I think Apple will have server chips by the end of 2023. Well, we'll see. That... Although I think maybe it's next a, year, to be a, honest. I guess if it started to fail, Mac could move back to other contracts or, or start contracts with Intel, AMD, or NVIDIA again. But it is a little bit of a, a gamble to put everything... Uh, all of your production of everything into your own company. Like mm. it's a completely self-contained ecosystem at Apple. Uh, once they move to having uh, self-designed server chips, basically. You're saying if some catastrophic issue happened, it's not like an x86 CPU where it's just like, ah, oh, I guess we'll buy up Intel now. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That's an interesting point. I, I would just point out that I bet they could get the code running on Epic or something. And, Probably. I'm sure they'll still use some AMD servers. Yeah. Um, Hollow Knight writes in, how different would the market be if rather than making their own chips, Apple used AMD where Intel was used to be instead of making their own silicon? This basically have been AMD growing as big as Intel within a couple of years. Um, I don't know about that, but what I would say is that just wouldn't have happened, right? I don't, I know that there were all these rumors that Apple may switch to AMD during the Zen era. In hindsight, I don't know. People need to remember that Bulldozer was pretty terrible. And there was, most people were still doubtful that AMD would be able to innovate gen over gen like they have been, even after mm -hmm. Zen 1. It took multiple generations for AMD to really prove themselves. So I just don't see a Apple ever buying into that. Not to mention that people need to remember that Intel was competitive in mobile efficiency with Zen 1. There's more efficient. Like they had better bend smaller chips that had lower voltages, minimum voltages. Uh, Intel was very competitive with Zen 1 and laptop efficiency once they updated to like Whiskey Lake and stuff. And the same even goes moving forward with everything else they had, competing even with Zen Plus and almost even Zen 2. I mean, Zen 2 is really where AMD had some of the best uh, mobile chips. But even then, there's been like Tiger Lake and stuff. I never feel like AMD crushed in laptop efficiency completely in a way that would make Apple consider just completely switching until Cezanne. And by then, they had already made the decision to make their own chips. Yeah, and you know, this is just from a perception standpoint, but I really don't think the perception of AMD truly switched over to how positive it is now until Zen 3, even. Like Zen 2, there were still 
there is still a decent amount of skepticism around AMD, I would say. Oh, absolutely. Gen 3 is when it completely changed. Right. And by then, Apple, the decision was set in stone. Yeah. You know, they were making the chips. It was a done deal. So, all right, then. Let us move on to story number four. Zen 5 Turin details leaked, and I'm quoting a few people from Twitter, including Executable Fix via video cards. Uh, Here we go. It is no longer NVIDIA Lovelace, Hopper, and AMD RDNA 3. AMD Epic Turin is now joining the list of devices requiring tons of power. Presumably, a special version of the Epic 7005 CPU will have a CDDP, which is to say configurable thermal design power, of up to 600 watts. This value is more than twice that of Epic Milan, which has a maximum CTDP of 280 watts and is 50% higher than the rumored Epic Genoa series that will go up to 400 watts. AMD Epic 7005 Turin should not be expected sooner than late 2023 at least, possibly even 2024. It is to feature Zen 5 microarchitecture and support faster DDR5 memory than Genoa. The file shared through a gigabyte leak confirmed AMD is targeting DDR5 5600 to 6400 me- uh, megahertz memory as a stretch goal. And it also looks like another leaker, Graymon55 on Twitter, has further information on Turin CPU configurations. The series supposedly exists in two configurations, a 192 core and 256 core one, which means, yeah, more than double the core counts generation over generation. And then I will also add on top of what video cards summarize there that I have my own information that AMD is working with Microsoft right now on R&D for ways of cooling 700 watt chips. So, you know, uh, Executable Fix seems to know about a CTDPs of 600 watts for Turin. I know about AMD working with Microsoft on cooling 700 watt chips. I think it's safe to say we're going to get some pretty toasty boys from Zen 5 and I'm sure they will more than double the performance, though, of Zen 4 will 50% higher power usage, right? Going from 400 watts to 600 watts for double the Bergamo cores. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> this is what I talked about in my video today, Dan. I, AMD is on question leadership and server, I think, on just, just until 2024, 2025. Turin sounds crazy. Yeah, and I mean, the, presumably this is a special contract. That, like, I think you've said stuff about Custom cooling solutions for this or something. <laughs> like literally immersible cooling, like like in a sci-fi movie, dousing the whole thing in mineral oil water or mineral water or something. That's what they're researching right now. Yeah, so I think it's important to emphasize that this is probably not what going to... Who knows? Maybe it will be. But I, I don't think this is just going to be what every Epic uh, CPU looks like. And I, I hope not because it, it does worry me a little bit seeing how much power every company is starting to use because at a certain point, like, is everything, are consumers just all going to need to have like 1,000 watt power supplies? I mean, who knows? Maybe. Uh, That's speculating because this is epic, but. Yeah, well, I think they'll always have the standard 120 watt, 180 watt, 250 watt tiers, and those will probably be 50% better. But if you want a double performance on a socket and use double the energy and use 50% more energy, there's an option. There's an option, and space is at a premium for some people. Although I will say, one of my sources wrote in after I did that leak and said, really, 600-watt chips? I'm trying to cool 500-watt chips in some of our labs now, and it's a nightmare. And then he, he says, so you basically need liquid cooling, right? Okay, so we need a room for liquid cooling. Is this really even saving space? I don't know. Guess I know what I'll have to work on soon, is what he said to me in an email. <laughs> 
either way, it's you have to spend a, a lot of money and space into infrastructure to cool it that, or you have like some really, really powerful refrigerating unit that keeps the entire thing at like <laughs> four degrees Celsius or something crazy. Or maybe that's, I, I, I actually wouldn't be surprised if server stacks already, some would already have something like that. But yeah, you need to find a way to remove all of that heat. And that is a, <laughs> a lot of heat for one CPU. Yeah, but I mean, again, I guess all I can say to that is I'm not doing a Diamond Rapids leak yet, but I do know that Diamond Rapids might be going to similar core counts, guys, and be doing some crazy things with threads as well. And I can bet that Diamond is going to have a 600-watt version probably too. So this is just where it seems to be going. Just hundreds of core... And again, these are like the main ones. This is Turin. This isn't the successor to Bergamo. Who knows what a Zen 5C chip will look like. I I think at least is what it seems like. I, I, I would definitely say uh, this is also me uh, just doing the math. Like 192 cores is double 96. It's a double Genoa. And 256 is double uh, Bergamo. So it could be. We'll see. Yeah. I mean, I guess I guess that's true. Maybe it is, but... Yeah, you're right, actually. Maybe it is, but I still feel like using that much energy, something else has to be going on. Like, it Probably. might have four-way hyper-threading and crazy clock speeds or something. I'm just saying, guys. There's something yeah. else going on here where I think the thread counts are going to be absurd. Tick Tickler writes in, the standard three-pronged American home power socket is rated for 15 amps at 120 volts for 1,800 watts of total capacity. Therefore, I'm starting to think within three generations, we're just going to need an elite gamer supercharged PC power supplies that make you have to plug it into your effing dryer outlet. Like, Jesus, this is getting ridiculous, isn't it? Actually, I'm pretty sure EVGA already made a power supply that does that a few years ago. Didn't it? I thought it was an overclockable power supply that actually came with that outlet and it could go up to like 1900 watts or something. I, I know you're looking into it, but here's what, here's what I'm going to say. Um, I think I've, I've had it hinted to me, actually, guys, that there's going to be a power supply pricing crash soon as people have been stockpiling power supplies that were forced to be bundled with graphics cards to sell them from these companies. In other words, like you might see EVGA say, yeah, we'll ship to your a warehouse 13080s so you can sell them but you have to buy two power supplies from EVGA each and there are warehouses of power supplies right now and a lot of recent power supplies are easily over 80 plus gold and 80 plus platinum is yeah. becoming fairly normal so i don't know that we will need that so much as i think think about it even if you have a 500 watt graphics card and a 500 watt cpu i think a 1500 watt power supply We'll be fine. And I think that we're going to see a situation where 1500 watt power supplies aren't as expensive as they used to be. Like they're going to get to around 120 bucks. And I think we'll be fine in that regard. But yes, there's already been, I believe, one that uses a, a dryer plug. So I'm sure there will be for bragging rights, at least a power supply that does that. Yeah. And those power supplies exist, but just not for a PC context yet so i don't think i don't think there's anything for pc specifically yet the highest rated uh pc power supply i can have is 1600 watts which they're able to do with a single 120 volt outlet i swear evj or csonic or someone came standard with a normal power supply uh three-pronged plug 
but that it also had an optional attachment to use the dryer one. And then you could make go oh, from like, that, I think you could go from like 1800 watts platinum or like titanium, I think it was, to like 15 to like 2100 watts gold if you use that much energy. I, I don't know the model though. So I think yeah. though, maybe we should move on. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it's not gonna surprise me if that happens. Reese. Reese, stop lounging around. Black Friday is right now if you know what you're doing. You see my dog Reese here is stuck in the past. She thinks you need to lose sleep and hound all of the latest deals on a single day if you want the best deals for shopping this holiday season. That that's just simply not true anymore. If you want the best deals on Steam, PlayStation, Xbox, and Windows keys, go to cdkeyoffers.com all November to get special discounts site-wide. Use offer code BROKENSILICON to get a special 30% discount. This is the biggest discount on their website right now if you're building a shiny new Alder Lake system. And again, remember, you can use the code DIESHRING to get 3% off everything else on the website. Whether you want to get the shopping for software keys out of the way now or just get something you want right now, don't be like Reesey. Don't wait. Get all of the online keys you need, whether Windows or gaming, at cdkeyoffers.com all November. Again, use offer code BROKENSILICON for 30% off Windows keys and use the code DIESHRINK for 3% off everything else on the website. Using cdkeyoffers.com with these codes helps Moore's Law is dead a lot and it saves you money. Go to cdkeyoffers.com today. Story number five. Did you guys forget? First full real pictures of 512 and 128 execution arc were leaked by Moore's Law is Dead. Here's the write-up. Has everyone already forgotten, based on recent news, Moore's Law is Dead just leaked a bunch of XE stuff right before all of the Alder Lake and Zen news dropped. In summary, multiple pictures of 512 execution unit and 128 execution unit XE are here, and they look exactly how you would expect them to look based on earlier Moore's Law is Dead renders. It was also confirmed in the video that laptop arc comes just short of the highest TDP 3080 laptop cards, which those are GA104, but mm -hmm. they don't have GDR6X. They have 16 gigabytes or eight gigabytes of normal GDR6. Um, so this further points to Intel coming just short of a 3070 Ti. Because again, I think we can assume then if they can't quite beat the performance of the highest clocks GA104 in a laptop, then I'm guessing on desktop, they'll come just short of a 3070 Ti, or at least they're not going to wildly beat it. Um, laptop XE launches quarter one with the option for a more limited desktop launch late quarter one, but Intel did not confirm a full desktop launch of their reference cars in quarter one. Actually, I have more to say about what's going on with the Arc launch on desktop soon. I'm saving it for another video, guys. What I will say is that my hunch that the way they worded things, which if I remember correctly, the way Intel worded it was on shelves. Right. Yeah, they said desktop arc on shelves in quarter one, comma, first generation with discrete cards for desktop. Those are two separate statements, guys. On shelves, which could mean laptop or desktop on shelves, but not in your PC yet. And mm -hmm. this is the first generation of desktop cards. That does not mean desktop launch is a full launch in quarter one. And I I actually know for a fact that the reference cards at least aren't, but it's 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 an interesting discussion. I think that's what I will save the release date. 
What do you think about the uh, performance in the pictures? It looks exactly like the renders, Dan. <laughs> the build quality, it looks very nice. Um, not sure what to say on the performance once again, because I feel like we've, once again, we're just more and more zeroing in on the 3070 Ti range performance where a few months ago, it seemed like it would be anywhere from like a 3060 Ti to maybe a little stronger than a 3070 Ti. So I, I just feel like we're just narrowing in more and more that it's probably going to be somewhere between a 3070 and a 3070 Ti eh, performance-wise. Mm-hmm. Although I, I'll, I'll add, I was skeptical when you brought up that wording thing at first, like when we were talking you about- You thought I was just my, Charlie Day on It's Always Sunny. Yeah, I, thought, I thought you might've been a Pepe Salvying, but uh, I mean, Pepe Sylvia-ing. Uh, but no, it, it is weird wording if you're just trying to say for sale quarter one 2021 they said on shelves they did not say desktops for sale they said it might be on shelves though which you can buy and then it will get to your pc in quarter two yeah which yeah i i put a lot of thought into that though i wouldn't i will say this damn i would not have said that unless i had people telling me there's no way right yeah yeah that's true but yes i'm aware that it, it looked like i was turning into a conspiracy theorist on that. <laughs> Let me see. Let's just move on then here. The Hollow Knight writes in, with Intel making mobile Alder Lake in DG2, what is NVIDIA's options? Let's say AMD and Intel required their newest CPUs and GPUs to be paired together. Where does that leave NVIDIA in the mobile market? Well, short answer is shit out of luck. Um, but second, I don't think they're going to do that. A- AMD and Intel are not going to just say you can't use the competition's cards with ours. I think that opened up a whole can of worms. And frankly, there's just a lot of companies that want to put an NVIDIA sticker on it for high-end gaming laptops. Yeah, and once again, that's starting to get into the territory of anti-consumer, I would say. Anti-competitive. Anti-trust or anti-competitive, not anti-consumer. Yeah, like yeah. monopolistic practices. I think there would be a lawsuit if they tried to do that. Right, but the fact is this, they can bundle them at a cheaper price together and there will be special features that you can only enable when both of them are together. Like, um, let's see, Dead of Night writes in, he says, Tom, do you think that Intel could have success in doing something AMD has been trying to do for years? Exclusive features unlocked by having both their same, by having both their CPUs and GPUs together? The answer is yes. Like they've already demonstrated in their Intel innovation event that I think it was some encoding and rendering performance with Arc. If you have an Iris processor with integrated iris graphics it actually further accelerates arc so Mm -hmm. together so yeah the answer is yes they will do that and that's just an advantage amd has and an advantage intel has in their laptops now going back to hollow knight's question nvidia is going to be in laptops there's going to be gaming laptops that have them and there will be competitive low power and cheap versions of laptop cards nvidia makes from time to time that you'll see lenovo want to pair with an intel processor and i don't think intel or amd are going to say you can't use nvidia but there is no way around it i think nvidia is poised to potentially lose a lot of market share in the low end and mid-range laptop market quarter one and quarter two because yeah people don't like working with nvidia that much frankly they think they're assholes basically everyone tells me that and intel is gonna give good deals on these art cards and amd is gonna give good deals on their refresh cards so NVIDIA is not going to be pushed out of the market, but they're in trouble of losing a lot of market share. I think they are. Yeah. I, 
like there's just no way around it. They they are. Nvidia needs to clearly needs to figure out a solution to this by well, and we see. I, I know it's not x86, but they're trying to acquire ARM. They're they are trying to get more into CPUs than they are right now. Yes, there's that. And also there's this. They need to not get lazy and use a cheaper node that uses too much energy, maybe. You know, that too. everyone thought I- NVIDIA was going to be pushed out of laptops, at least in the low end, when AMD started making Zen APUs. And NVIDIA, I mean, and Intel started having even better Iris graphics with Ice Lake. What happens? Mm-hmm. NVIDIA launches the MX line, 150, 250, 350, 450, that are these 15-watt chips that take up very little space and beat the competition by 20% or more. They can't, I mean, maybe they can do that with an 8 nanometer Ampere card, but where is it? That's the one thing I will say is NVIDIA won't be pushed out if they just make a better product to pair with those CPUs, but they're going to have to actually do it. And I think their biggest disadvantage is that they are losing in efficiency at a time when Intel's making graphics cards and AMD is bundling mm-hmm. things together. This wouldn't be a big worry if NVIDIA wasn't throwing efficiency out the window, it seems. What do you mean? They're not throwing... <laughs> yeah, yeah Ampere's twice as efficient as Turing, according to NVIDIA slides. What a joke. <laughs> All right, AC666 writes in, with Roger Kadori announcing that XEHP will not currently be productized, in light of the existence of XEHPG and HPC, what will the future of HP hold? What will happen to Jupiter Sound, Jasher Sound, and Lancaster Sound? Those codenames are indeed true. First of all, watch my the next two years of graphics leak. I can tell you Jupiter Sound is a real codename. Um, that was leaked a while ago, at least by me. And, and other people around then, too, I think had some stuff. Glacial Sound sounds familiar. I'm pretty sure I have information on that, but I don't remember it off the top of my head. Um, and I don't remember, what was it, Lancaster Sound? I don't remember if I've heard about that one, though. Anyways, though, I would still assume they're coming. The, the way I would think about it, AC, my friend, is that DG1 there was going to be a full line of 10 nanometer gaming DG1 cards from top to bottom. It just wasn't ready. And so they only launched a developer card to get the drivers worked on by developers early. Uh, That's how I think of like Jupiter Sound. And it's just what they've had now isn't ready. So they'll try to get it ready next time. And it's just Mm going to take another gen, whereas their gaming cards seem to be ready this time. Nothing to add there. No. (laughs) All right. Let us move on then to story number six. NVIDIA's 12 pin seems compatible with PCIe Gen 5 early. And here I am quoting from video cards. We finally are beginning to understand why NVIDIA was so eager to push the new power cable standard for its Ampere graphics cards. Turns out their cable is identical to the upcoming PCI Express Gen 5 standard cable. Both appear to use the same Molex MicroFit 3.0 design. The connector is rated up to 9 amps at 12 volts, which means a maximum theoretical current of 648 watts. The more recent data posted by Igor's lab suggests that the PCIe Gen 5 connector will actually go up to 9.2 amps and provide up to 662 watts. Ooh, Dan. Another 14 watts. Um, However, according to the Gen 5 spec, it is rated up to 600. So it's probably some safety factor there. With that in mind, we are looking at a total of 675 watts maximum power for a graphics card equipped with a Gen 5 12-pin power connector. A 1275-watt connection would be possible through a pair of such (laughs) cables. And I've actually heard pretty crazy things about how much energy Hopper could use, by the way. Um, Maybe you'll need to. I pray to God that Hopper, whatever, what would that be called? The top of the line Hopper doesn't 
require two 12 pins because... 1,000 watts, Wed. I know. That would be stupid. Well, I don't know. That just seems to be where some people are, where NVIDIA is going. See, and then that, then I go, like, yeah, this is when you get pushed out of laptop NVIDIA. What, when uh, to compete in desktop, they need to have their cards use 1,000 watts or maybe, maybe not 1,000 or 800 watts or whatever insane number we're talking about this is suggestive of. Like, even if it's just one connector going up to, a, I would assume they'd say 600 watts or 550 watts, that would be not equally insane, but from our perspective right now, uh, insane. Right. Um, yeah. So all I can say is this. I don't like graphics cards using 500 watts. I think it's getting absurd unless it were to use double or it'd be double or triple the performance of a 250 watt card. Then I'd go, okay, as long as it can throttle down in games when it's not maximum being used, cool. But if it's like... <laughs> 500 watts, so you can use 30% more or get 20% more performance maybe than a 300-watt card. I just think that's ridiculous. But I don't know. We'll see. That's one opinion. A separate opinion, I I do like the 12-pin connector, though, and I actually do kind of hope it becomes standard. It takes up less room than an 8-pin. It provides enough energy for any card you could get for just one connection. Uh, I, I actually do like the connector itself. If it just becomes a standard to have a 12-pin uh because fuck it, overhead, mm-hmm. I, that's fine with me, yeah. Yeah, um, but the one thing I will say is that because it's smaller, more compact, it requires more expensive components. On, a, on that last NFC, not from Concentrate, guest episode on Broken Silicon, he said he hated it because it's pretty much impossible to retrofit and work on. So oh, yeah. I guess for big business, it's probably good, and it's probably good as a standardization, but anyone who likes tinkering with stuff, it's kind of like... Well, good luck making custom colored cables for a 12 pin. It's not easy. Oh, yeah. Um, but all right, that is the last story. Just a little snippet there. I thought it'd be worth mentioning because that kind of adds some more context into why NVIDIA would have had that connector. Let us get in to the wrap up. So, yep, here are the stories that we threw in at the end that we didn't think were big enough to get their own, you know, dedicated discussion, but are still worth mentioning. So the Apple M1 Max was reviewed, and I have the review here. The reason I have to bring this up is technically there's just so much news. We recorded the new, the last news episode of the Broken Silicon, and it came out when the M1 Max reviews went live, and we're like, ah, crap. But it, yeah. uh, what we said basically is what was expected, which is to say it is impressive, but it's not crazy. It It, it, it performs how Apple said, but they definitely traded in the best light as you'd expect well, yeah which is what, what is what you'd expect and yeah it's you know apple put out two lines of uh cpus or apus really i guess and uh they're surprisingly good surprisingly fast like you said they're not alien tech no they, they use and less energy also- but they're on five nanometer and it's around a 3070 laptop, maybe a lower clocked 3080 laptop in performance. But then you look at battery tests and depending on what tasks you're doing, the battery life is like double the competition because it can just use its little cores and save a boatload of energy. It's an impressive device, but it's yeah. on five nanometer and it's basically what you would expect out of a new Alder Lake system, except it's more expensive and it's using two thirds the energy. So a node advantage using a third less energy. Yeah, that's <laughs> what I would expect out of it, you know. 
um, especially considering they can program to the metal. Um, another thing in the wrap up here is again, it really seems like this arm deal may not go through at NVIDIA though. Uh, I don't know if you saw, but I mean, the EU is just seemingly blocking this as hard as they can. And really that's because, and I just kind of want to summarize why the arm deal, you know, NVIDIA acquiring arm may not go through in general. Here's what I've been told. Basically, the people that work at ARM don't want it to happen. But at the end of the day, it's not really up to them. When I say they don't want it to happen, they really don't want it to happen. They do not want to work for NVIDIA. And the UK government doesn't like this. They see it as a national security concern that ARM is possibly going to be owned by NVIDIA and eventually the jobs moved over to America, right? They like having a chip Mm -hmm. company in their own country. The biggest deal that Daniel Nenny brought up that I think is such a good point is You know, NVIDIA can probably do what they want. The UK can't stop it. And it doesn't matter what ARM employees want. It's not up to them if the company is sold. But at the end of the day, the people that use ARM's IP, Apple, Samsung, Qualcomm, I mean, like, on and on and on, the list goes on. Those companies combined do not want this deal to go through. And so if you're like, oh, I don't think the UK government or ARM's employees can stop this, you then go, oh, but what about Apple teaming up with Qualcomm? Oh, I bet they might be able to put up a fight <laughs> against Qualcomm, NVIDIA. Yeah, Qualcomm is a company that doesn't really come up very much in this show just because it's not the quite the purview of <laughs> what's typically covered. But Qualcomm is a massive and incredibly important company. Yeah. And them, them with Apple and who else? Dozens like, of other companies. Yeah. And the UK government, which... It's not the United States government, but it's it's one of the most pa- more powerful countries in the world. I think I I said this when we first talked about this, like it sounds like it might not go through or one of us said it. It looks like it might not. And, you know, I hope it doesn't. <laughs> I don't. And here's what it comes down to. The more I pressed my contacts suggesting different reasons why the arm deal may be stocked, stopped, the more I got them to boil it down at the end of the day. Everyone that's not NVIDIA doesn't want this to happen because they know NVIDIA will conduct monopolistic practices and they don't want a monopolistic acting company to own ARM. That's what it comes down to. And the only other thing is Daniel Nenny even said, yeah, he doesn't really think it's going to go through if you put a gun up to his head. But at the same time, he goes, I don't know, never count out Jensen. He wouldn't have tried this deal unless he thought he could succeed. And I'm sure they've thought about some of the things that might happen if they go for it. So I still wouldn't count out NVIDIA doing this. But again, I my opinion continues to be, do not assume it's going to happen, but do not assume it's not. But again, I don't think it's just going to easily happen. We'll see. Yeah. All right. And then we have a 50 game benchmark of the 3080 versus the 6800 XT, which is interesting. According to Wizard at Tech Power Up, which I reached out to tell me did excellent work. I recommend checking out this benchmark, guys. I mean, it basically proves that as time has gone on, the 6800 XT is the same performance as the 3080. Hey, it's 1.2% less, Tom. Uh, huge di- in 1080p. That's what I care about. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah, it's 1% weaker in 1080p, the same in 1440p, mm-hmm. 2% weaker in 4K, which I think is worth pointing out. Because there are people that are like, well, Ampere's better in 4K. And I'm like, not if you only have 10 gigabytes of RAM, which look it up, guys. A lot of games, I think Far Cry 6 might be one of them. Uh, Battlefield 2042. There's a lot of games coming out now. Well, maybe not Battlefield. I think that one might be okay. But there's there's multiple games coming out this holiday season that aren't running well with less than 11 or 12 gigabytes in 4K. 
If the difference in raw performance in 4K is 2%, take the extra 60% RAM. I'm sorry. And the 6800 XT overclocks better. But the one thing I will say is the 3080 is still better on average in ray tracing, which is worth pointing out. Yeah, that's worth pointing out. And it's also worth pointing out if you only play GTA 5 in 4K, uh, it's a 31% performance benefit over uh, the 6800. I didn't know it was that big. What the heck? (laughs) At the same time, though, the 6800 XT is 15% better in Ghost Recon Wildlands. But not 30. Good Lord. Nuts. Yeah, I mean, that's... I, I almost just said, well, if you're playing older games as usual, NVIDIA seems to be a little better. But at the same time, I think I remember Crisis not even really working on Ampere. So even that's not necessarily true. I mean, look, these cards are about the same performance. One has more RAM. One is better ray tracing in most of the current games. Current games, probably not in the future. But they're the same tier, guys. I, I don't know. If they're the same price, I take the 3080. I mean, I take the 6800 XT. Yeah. That's fair. All right. Also, this is news here. I think it was broken by Adore TV, uh, that web, his website. Uh, Intel hiring basically the best CPU engineers from VIA, which is, I think what I would comment on this is just that Intel really is moving to multiple CPU design teams. And there's people that go, there's no way Raptor Lake is just one year after Alder Lake and that much better. And there's no way Meteor Lake and Arrow Lake are the same year. No, it's almost like a game studio that breaks up into multiple dev teams. Intel's planning to leapfrog generations now because they really feel like they're behind. So, I mean, look at at Alder Lake. It, it, It has two different core architectures in it. And, you know... AMD only develops True. one co- architecture at a time. Like, why not add a third team to develop a third architecture? Who, maybe it is just a supplement team, but who knows? Maybe they're going to start developing a third. In fact, they've already been doing this, guys. Rocket Lake and Alder Lake came out in the same year. So I yeah. think we are moving towards this mega, what did, at least as we call it, like mega like performance increase cycle or whatever she said, where both Intel, but also I think AMD, Zen 5, I think may just be like 12 months after or 13 months after Zen 4. I really do think we are looking at both of these companies getting at least one big launch a year because they need to, to keep up with each other. It's going to be really exciting. And uh, they're both just buying up every CPU engineer to do it. Um, also, TSMC announces f- 4 nanometer P and 4P, which is an even better version of the better version of 5 nanometer, I guess. Um, I think a lot of products are going to end up using N4P. I-, I suspect RDNA 4 actually might, by the way, because I've heard um, TSMC's 3 nanometer is having a little bit of issues, by the way. And now they just announced N4P. I suspect... And this is going to be the real increase, I think, over 7 nanometer because 16 nanometer to 7 nanometer was a much bigger leap than what 7 is to 5. But once we get to 4, it'll be about the same as probably 16 to 7. And I think a lot of products are going to be on 4 nanometer for years, like a lot. Yeah, and, and this timeline, I, I think you're, you're right, lines up with RDNA 3 probably being on N4P. And finally, a couple of tweets from Copite Kimmy. I'm just uh, Copite Seven Kimmy on Twitter, just to round it out. Uh, again, saying that there is a 103 die coming for Ampere potentially, which might be a 320 bit die, basically trying to or or something. It's some shrinked package for the 3080 because they've realized that GA 102 is just too big to work 
on Samsung. <laughs> and I, I think that, you know, that's probably, you might see that round out the super launch quarter one from NVIDIA. And he also says that the 4080, 4070, and 4090 are launching mid to late next year with Lovelace. So like I've said, guys, I know people are doubting Lovelace. From where I'm hearing, it's coming sooner than people expect, and they will have other refreshes before it. Yeah, you know, maybe maybe it leaks are a little behind versus what they usually are, but it's still nine months out if it's quarter three next year. Like At the earliest, yeah. Yes, you're right. Nine to Nine to like 11 months out, I guess. So there's a lot of time for stuff to leak still. There's a lot of, you know, it's not like just because we haven't heard much about what either of these are yet that they're not coming out until, I don't know, 2024, like some people seem to think. You know, obviously we don't, I haven't confirmed every detail that there is to know about Lovelace, but I still feel like I've said what there is to say. I think the top one's going to use more energy than ampere and it's going to be like 80 percent better maybe twice as good if they push it to 500 watts frankly i don't know why you need to know more than that you know the performance you know when it's coming out you know the power usage why do you need to know the exact specs i think copites said what he believes they are i don't have that information so i can't really say yes or no to it but i can say his track record has mm-hmm. been pretty good i don't think we need to know much more than that why do we need to know more than that we know lovelace is going to be a lot a bigger deal than ampere and we know it's coming out probably quarter three next year do you guys really need to know more you don't know <laughs> that's my opinion I, I don't know all right that is the wrap up let's get into it dan the final reader mail questions evil steve software box writes in and he says hello tom and tom's guest let's well, be dan evil steve how dare you he's evil Person. He is evil Steve. He is evil Steve, so. After listening to the recent podcast with Jason Fields, a thought creeped up in my mind. A while back, you mentioned that some of your sources said that NVIDIA CEO Jensen Wang called up Intel, recently appointed CEO Pat Gelsinger, and asked if NVIDIA could potentially use Intel's fabs for their graphics cards, that is, NVIDIA's graphics cards, in the future. Now, back then, the context for this seemed to be the fact that NVIDIA, unlike Apple, AMD, and Intel, is not in TSMC's inner circle, as much as they would want to be, and they're afraid of having to pay a premium to be on a cutting-edge node. How plausible is it that that call was just NVIDIA, a multi-billion dollar international company with analysts all around the globe, strongly believes that Taiwan could be a future war zone, and they just need to make sure they have a backup plan for their products, maybe Intel, if Taiwan did become a war zone? Um, maybe I would just say that it's just in general, making sure their options are open. But now that we think about it, that might be one of those options. Yeah. And I'm not an expert in geopolitics, but you know, neither am I. Some of the stuff with Jason Fields kind of is, but mm-hmm. <laughs> which listen to the last broken silicon guys. It was, it was a video episode and I think it turned out incredibly well. Be beyond, uh, like semiconductors. I, I'm, worried about Taiwan. And I I hope things keep going well in Taiwan for the next, well, forever. But that's a consideration that needs to be made. And yeah, I I hope things keep going well, uh, or well for the country of Taiwan. And but yeah, that that wouldn't surprise me if NVIDIA is at least seeing some uh, not great signs right now. I I would just say that you know, the conclusion me and Jason came to in that podcast was basically that it's unlikely that Taiwan is turned into a 
Warzone that something else yeah. is probably going to happen than that. But that it's certainly a non-zero chance. And I just worry, I just worry that the preparation is not done enough in case that does happen because of how catastrophic that would be. Again, listen to that podcast, guys, where we talked about what it would look like if TSMC just went offline. I just feel, I just, I worry not enough companies are planning ahead for what they would do if that happened because it doesn't need to be a war zone. What if, what if an earthquake happened? It's on a fault line. Like, I, I don't, I mean, it, it, there's a lot to discuss on what, one, why you might not want all production of the best chips to be in that place um, or really any single place. I, I mean, I think that's a good cautionary measure for literally any manufacturer of any product, not just semiconductors. Like it would be bad if all of the ca- cars in the world were produced and the San Andreas fault line. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> like that wouldn't be good either. Yeah, and I don't think it, this was obviously planned to happen. It just kind of happened. TSMC's in charge. That's where they make their stuff. Oops, everything's made yeah. there now. You know, so, but I mean, I don't know. I guess that's really all I can say is no matter what it was for, it was for contingency plans. And that would just be one of them. And I just hope companies, including AMD and everyone else, are thinking about what they would do if something went wrong. But um, there are other options. It would just be, it'd be a nightmare no matter what, if there's like an earthquake there or something. Elon writes in, Hey, Tom and Dan. So Forza Horizon 5 launched this weekend. And man, I gotta say this game really looks incredible after watching Digital Foundry's video. Even on the Xbox One. I thought next-gen consoles would be held back, but I guess not. Now, sure, on the old gen, it's not running at the same resolution as the new one. But the visual quality doesn't seem that much different uh, if you put them side by side, in my opinion. Thoughts? So, Dan, I kind of had you look into this. Would you, is Elon's characterization one you would agree with? I thought it looked... Surprisingly good on the One S and right, not one Jesus Series. Now I'm getting the Series S. I thought it looked surprisingly good on the Series S. I didn't think it looked terrible on the One S, but it definitely looked like a last gen game versus the even One S. I, I, I think and Series X looks really good. <laughs> uh, although I didn't like that the performance mode was the 60 FPS mode and. The quality mode was 30 FPS. It's a racing game. I feel like it should be 60 FPS. Yeah, I find that weird. I feel like that's just so odd. I I still wonder if it's like this insistence from Microsoft that they have to say full 4K is checked on the back of the box because I just... Yeah. Horizon, to my knowledge, like Forza Horizon, the series itself has a lineage of going for lower frame rates than the standards. I think, if I remember right, I'm not not someone who's played a lot of it, but... Um, so maybe that's where that comes from, but I would agree. You'd think they'd want a dynamic resolution either way. And one of them targets 60 and one of them targets 120 Hertz. 30 Hertz is just odd. I'm sorry. I'm going to say it again. What's the biggest thing you can tell by going to a next gen console? The frame rates, at least 60 and, uh, everything isn't sluggish to turn on and move around in the menu. Yeah. And it's a little funny, like showing the like slowed down thing really emphasizes how much you're losing at 30 frames per second versus 60 because, you know, it's on YouTube, so it's harder to ascertain frame rates and stuff. But, like, it looks like it's just jumping around sometimes versus 60 frames per second because, you know, there's half as many frames. Uh, And I would rather have that dynamic resolution go all the way down to 1600p sometimes even for a solid 60 FPS because, frankly, from the screenshots and videos I saw side by side, the image quality is almost impossible to distinguish between the performance and quality modes, in my opinion, on the Series X. 
I also find it odd because I feel like this new thing that we've seen, which there's been multiple games that are having this like 45 hertz mode, which is to say the minimum it hits is 45, but usually it's above 55. Like Resident Evil 8 did that with ray tracing on the consoles. And actually on Series X, it was typically 60. It was typically 60 on the PS5 as well, just more often on the Series X. And then Mm -hmm. also Death Stranding, um, director's cut on PS5. It has a quality mode that is basically the same thing, but it's usually above 55 hertz. So it's like, I don't know why you don't just do that. Like target 45 is a minimum and then also dynamic res higher. Does it really matter if it's like 1900p instead of 4K, but you stay above 50 hertz, especially with FreeSync, which the Xbox Series X already supports. I don't understand why they didn't do that, but I guess that's what me and your thoughts are on that. Uh, To actually answer his question, eh, it doesn't seem like it held back next gen. But we're not going to know unless they would have built it from the ground up with a separate team and said, this is what it looks like when you don't worry about it at all. But that's one of those games that I feel like probably isn't held back by last gen that much. But I don't know. Racing games always look really, really good versus other video games. So it's hard to tell. It's like, yep, that's Forza Horizon 5, probably one of the best looking games around right now, if not the best looking game, depending on what you're rating. Sure. Yeah. Well, okay. That is the final uh, reader mails. I mean, I don't know anything else to say, Dan. Again, just a disclaimer, whatever NVIDIA announces at GTC, it's going to be covered in the next podcast, loose ends or another video. We try to just focus on kind of CPU stuff and CDNA and all of that. I'm sure that whatever NVIDIA announces, it's just going to be something that can be talked about as its own piece of content. And hopefully this was enough for you. This is a standard episode length anyways, even so. Without GDC. Right. Um, Any final words, Dan? Any final thoughts for the peoples, the masses out there? No, I don't think so. Uh, You know, watch GDC tomorrow yourself. Or it will have already aired when when this goes up. But watch GDC if you want the information too. Yeah, watch GDC and then laugh at us. It'll be fun. All right. All right. Thanks for listening, everybody. Take care. This podcast was brought to you by the YouTube channel and website Moore's Law is Dead. Moore's Law is Dead and Broken Silicon are trademarks of their creator, Tom. That guy is me, and I am indeed the creator, editor, writer, and showrunner of Moore's Law is Dead podcast videos, articles, and other media. However, I don't do this alone. Moore's Law is Dead is a team with Broken Silicon co-hosted by my brother, Dan. Audio editing by Gerard Cortez and special assistance by Carbon Cry. Find all of our information, including the information of sponsors you can support, at www.moreslawsdead.com. If you would like to send fan mail or hardware to us, please mail parcels to Moore's Laws Dead at P.O. Box 60632 in Nashville, Tennessee, zip code 37206. And speaking of fans, Patrons are what makes Moore's Laws Dead content possible. The aging business model of spamming ads all over the content is dying. The future of media will be built on fans paying for the content they actually want to exist. And so if you have the extra money, but only if you do, please consider supporting us. For just $2 a month, you get access to the exclusive podcast Die Shrink, voting on subjects of future podcast episodes, the ability to have your questions read aloud on Broken Silicon, Die Shrink, and Loose Ends, and of course, access to the Moore's Laws Dead Discord full of like-minded people who would love to meet you and talk to you about computer hardware. I am one of them. 
Additionally, higher tiers get access to ad-free episodes of Broken Silicon, the entire back catalog of Flyover State's podcasts and other projects, Moore's Laws that is done, and thanks in the credits of videos and other perks as well. And hey, if you can't afford to support us, please do share Moore's Laws Dead videos and podcasts with friends and family on social media, Reddit, and forums. And give Broken Silicon a five-star review on Apple Podcast or your preferred podcast app. All of this really does help so much. And if you'd like to advertise on the podcast, hire Tom for consulting, or are a person of interest who would like to be a guest, please reach out to the email address mlhbdead at gmail.com. But as I said, this podcast would not be possible without its patrons supporting it. And so now it is time to give a personal thanks to the greatest of the fans. The following supporters are at the 10 gigahertz or higher producer levels. Brad Medlin, Telos GUK, Benny Berlin, Justin Yacht, Thomas Rupp, I love you, Lynn and Jim, Ivan K, Tom Bailey, Muhammad Akwari, Frederick Lau, MetroCore, Justin Paris, Zachary Martin, Terrence Harrod, Drita Full, Phil S, D31337 Antics, Jackson A. Miller, Jesse Jeskowiak, Josh Law, JBG, Travis Goody, Mechanical Philosopher, Bebo Kinkilo, Fatboy Disru, Daniel Hyda, Guy and PA81, Nathan Mose, Cole Addict, Matt Salem, Aaron Close, F7GOS, Matthew Landavazo, My Name Is Nobody, Judson N, Alethros, Jensen Wang, There's a Kitty, Greg T. Wachik, Ivan. 214, John Jameson, Sam Benzel, Matthew Lane, Mark Raidmaker, Jen Rauner, Rick Lakata, Michael McGee, Meyer Techrance, Eric Jackson, Jonathan, Patrick Groh, Evan Dingle, Dominique Cox, Stefan, Original Ross, Anthony Gareffa, Joaquin Hagen, Total Silox, Sol Connor, Michael Casa, Andrew S. C. Jitz, Aaron Keith, Gregory S. Acker, Endless Loggins, Tom Sanfilippo, Justice Brennan, Zutsu Taylor, Trevor Powers, Stu Alenia, Nanyan, Daniel Nishpal, Franco Frederick, Dan Galinowski, Ian Clifford, Axel Cisneros, Leighton Perry, Joseph Caron, Brett Summers, Blake, Denovan Russell, Noah Nicola, Zlicky, Martin Porchegi, David Cowden, Ricky Tan, Hulam, Patrick J.S., Justin Staples, Freddie Canos Jr., Stephen Coates, Kiwi Phil, Brucha, Jeremy So, Mitchell Pell, Brett Summers, Eddie Del Castile, Josie Floria, Luis Correa, Deke, Cheesy Ramen, Tyler Lindley, Tim Robbins, Jake Dude 23, Brian Riggleman, Justin Gower, Gayu Markelli, Dave McCoy, Falco Malek, Gabe Langner, Ronnie, DNA Tech, Michael Deaton, MJB1, Maurice Courtois, Wesley Sager, Sarcastro, My Sharona, Y Truey, Roman, William W. Draper, Air Rats, F7GOS, Henry Zhang, Stephen Hart, Christopher A. Butler, Greg, Peter Moore, Amy Chief, Justin Thomas, Sam Miller, Sammy Malas, Sammy James Anderson, Shakir, Nick Rakin, Olden Mobley, Matthew Lazier, R.P. Chama, Nathan Port, Jimmy N.G., Mads, Gordon Freeman, Benjamin Oshley, Mark Mitchell, Shield TV, Couteau, Aaron, John Wizink, Mohammed, John DeBont, Pulse Media, Sean Ashmont, Daniel Dewar, Seven Zhang, JSMMH, and of course, thank you to Sahara for the music.